Good morning. It's 8.30. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, revamping Mississippi's public education funding formula might require a legislative special session. Heart disease in Mississippi, it's the state's leading cause of death. In the past, heart disease was almost half of the deaths that occurred in our country. And we have it down to one-third now. And most of that has been done over the last decade. What steps can be taken to help lower the risk of dying from heart disease? Looking for love? Tomorrow is Valentine's Day. And in everyday tech, practicing safe habits with dating apps. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The future of rewriting Mississippi's school funding formula is in doubt after legislators failed to act on bills that could have made changes. Both the House and the Senate skipped bills that could have allowed overhauls of the Mississippi Adequate Education Program. Republican leaders proclaimed that revising the formula is a top priority for the year, but proposals died when the House and Senate did not act on bills before a deadline last week. House Education Chairman John Moore is a Republican from Brandon. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier they are still committed to revising the current formula, and he says it's possible Governor Brian could call a special legislative session during the regular session to pass a bill. We're still early in the process, and of course, uh, uh, a plan was not uh, worked out in the mix or, uh, before the deadline. And the leadership on both ends said, okay, well, let's just stop. And if we can make something happen before the end of the session and come together on the changes that need to be made, well, then the And the governor's already agreed that he would call us into a special session within the session, which would keep it from costing the taxpayers any money. Um, Then we could go ahead and handle it at that point in time. It's massive, and I knew to start with that it was going to be very hard in light of all of the other uh, issues that we were trying to deal with. And uh, and I I knew we were going to have problems coming to a compromise or even uh, getting something off the ground uh, to the first level or first base. So I'm not really disappointed. It, it it will come eventually, and probably sooner than later. But, but at this point, it, we've pushed it to the side so we can finish doing the other business of the, of the people of the state of Mississippi, which I think is a wise move at this point. There's very obvious that there needs to be some major, major changes in the funding formula. And if, to us, as leadership, we're all about making sure that as many of the dollars as possible are going to the classroom and for the, for the teaching of that student and to, well, and to fill the student's needs. What about the argument that let's fund, um, fully fund MAEP for a couple of years and look at the data? Well, the, the thing about it, if somebody can come up with $300 million out of their pocket to fund it with, I'd be glad to do it. But I think we're, every agency in the state government now is running very on very tight budgets. And if we just sweep $300 million or more, and that figure is escalating every year. It's not, And see, that's one of the problems with the formula. It has a built-in escalation that we can never, never fund. And, uh, and I think it was designed that way to start with, to keep this a constant panic. And it's, been, it's worked real well to do that for tw- over 20 years. And because uh, I don't think that it, under Democrat total leadership or Republican total leadership has never been funded twice, which tells us something. I, and I think most of our school districts even are running very efficiently 
at this point, and they're 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 able to, to move move along. And we're, we want to watch the money tight, and we want a formula that we can work with every year. We want to tell the formula how much money we need to spend. We don't want a a, a, a dictatorial formula that's telling us how much of the money it has to have to feed this giant. And, uh, um, you know, we intend, and as we've proven in the last six years, we've put more money in public education than ever in history. We've given it the largest increases ever in history, $100 million a year pay raise for teachers and expanded. And uh, we've seen the money that we've put in public education ring the bell. And we intend to continue down that path with the new formula. We want that money to be going to the areas that actually make a difference for the children of the state of Mississippi. And we're not, uh, we're, we don't want the money to be going out there and for salary increases for administrators or building new football fields. And that's, that, that's necessary, but it's not a function of the dollars that the state allocates to the district. We, we are about educating children and making sure we have a high quality teacher in, in every classroom. And I think every child deserves that. Democratic represent, or excuse me, House Education Chairman John Moore. Democratic Representative John Hines of Greenville tells our Desiree Frazier he's not convinced a new education funding formula is needed. What they should be doing is trying to find some money to fully, fully fund MAEP. We hadn't fully funded MAEP but twice since I've been here in the 16 years. But I would love to see us fully funded for three, four years and look at the data and see, is it a good formula if it's not? But just we need to put the money uh, to the paper and let's see what happens on the other side. Do you think the goal might be to shift more of the cost to the communities? Well, I think that's part of the recommendation, part of the plan. But think about a small community, a small county like Issaquina, where there's no tax base. What you going to shift? Uh, then you begin to look at places like Madison and South Haven and those areas that are continuing to grow. They don't need as, much, as many resources as we do, but still there's some areas, some underlying areas that, that don't have the same type of funding mechanism in place. The tax base is not level in this state. Well, we really need to, one, implement a lottery. Two, uh, increase the gas tax. Three, fully fund education. And then you can see Mississippi begin to change overnight. What I will say, Alabama uh, increased their gas tax when gas prices were dropping, and their citizens didn't have any complaint. Now they're rebuilding roads and doing a lot of things over there. You have to stop playing partisan politics and give a care about citizens of this state and, and do some things that are innovative outside the box a little bit, but it makes good governance. Now, I talked to um, Senator Tollickson. He says it's not over for this year, that they still have time to put together a bill, and it's not over until everyone says sine die. Well, that's when the fat lady sings, and you're absolutely right. Uh, she hadn't got here. Uh, in fact, they hadn't even brought a wardrobe in. So this is the beginning of uh, the process. It's never over until it's over. Uh, you see people do all kind of stuff. I remember one year we was here, one bill uh, came out, it was turned to a study committee, then it was turned back to another piece of legislation during conference. So anything can happen in this process. If you understand the rules and procedure, you can do just about anything here if you're crafty enough. Representative John Hines of Greenville with our Desiree Frazier. Legislative leadership hired the consulting firm Ed Build late last year to assess the state's current education funding formula, MAEP, and to make recommendations for changes. Ed Build CEO Rebecca Sibilia presented a 79-page report in January recommending lawmakers tailor public education funding according to the needs of the student. Political analyst Democrat Brandon Jones and 
Republican Austin Barber discuss education funding with at issues Wilson Stribling. Barber says he agrees with the slower approach. I have said uh, many times on this very show that I thought this was potentially a two-year process, that I uh, entrusted Lieutenant Governor Reeves and Speaker Gunn to go at the right pace with this issue. In my opinion, this could be the biggest issue this legislature or these legislators deal with in 20 years. It is a huge issue. And I, I think that it's the smart thing to do by both the lieutenant governor and the speaker to say, listen, we've got to have plenty of discussion on this. We've got to have, you know, let the general public, teachers, educators, taxpayers, Get to see what we're talking about before we go running out to the Senate floor or running out to the House floor, have an hour discussion and then a vote. That, I think they're really smart to go as slow as they possibly can. If it doesn't happen this session, that's okay. Let's, let's, let's get it out there and have a real conversation about why this is a good thing for Mississippi. It, when we were kids, there's a little children's song, you know. Don't let your don't hide your light under a bushel. You got to let it shine. If Republicans are so proud of this bill, they need to say what it is. And you talked about vetting, Austin. And I think that's important. Whether it's at the local school district, parents, whomever, um, we need more of that. But right now, we don't know cost. We don't know impact on individual district. We don't know the tax rate. And so at this point, still riding blind. I think we need to get this thing out, let it air out a little bit, get some hands and minds on it. No question. They've got to show those things, and they know that. I mean, these are not dumb people. They've worked very hard on education, lots of big successes on education in the past four to six years. They realize we've got to get this out there, lots of input. They, they feel like it's a good bill, but you got to have details out there for the general public, plus members to be able to see and vet. You, you said not this session. Does that mean a special session? It, it could be. It very well could be a special session. It could happen this session. I mean, Brandon knows until they sign he die and they go home, you know, th- there's still lots of times. But I, I, I think it could, it, I, it could be difficult for it to be pulled off this session, but we'll see. Republican analyst Austin Barber and Democrat Brandon Jones with At Issues Wilson Stribling. Coming up, a conversation about heart disease and ways to lower your risks. But first, tomorrow is Valentine's Day, and in Everyday Tech, we talk about practicing safe habits when using dating apps. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. The Governor's Arts Awards, the Mississippi Arts Commission's annual recognition of the state's artistic and cultural heritage, will be presented on Thursday, February 16th at the Old Capitol Museum in downtown Jackson. Beginning at 6 p.m., MPB Think Radio will air the ceremony live as six creative Mississippians will be honored for their significant contributions to the arts. MPB TV will air the ceremony on February 23rd. Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. I'm Sherita Brent, joined by Wilts Couture. And today we're going to talk about technology and love. We'll talk a little bit about online dating and just some things to consider if you are in love or maybe you're trying to fall in love and you want to figure out how to incorporate your technology into those things. Wilts, good morning. Are you ready for this topic? 
Hey, you got me a little bit nervous on this one, you know. Uh, <laughs> well, I wanted to start by talking about some dating apps. Ones that initially come to mind to me are Tinder and Match.com, eHarmony. Do you have any experience with, with those apps? Because you have children, basically. You're a married man, so you shouldn't have experience with those apps. But, uh, you know, with your children, just in general, from what you've observed, do you know if a lot of teens use dating apps? Well, it, mostly from hearing. Luckily, mine, um, at least not to my knowledge just yet. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. it, the idea scares me because, yeah, like, like you mentioned, this, these kind of things weren't around when I was a little bit younger. But, uh, yeah, I heard it from a lot of just uh, some different friends. I've got a couple of my friends that are recently finding themselves single and, and looking out there. And, of course, being an IT guy, they kind of reach on out, wonder what I've heard of them. And, yeah, there's a lot going on with them. Um, but just like with anything, uh, a lot of, of really good hints out there on how to keep yourself safe with them as well. Yeah, because back in the day, it used to be that you could set up a fake name and just communicate anonymously. But now they have it to where you have to link to Facebook to start a profile. Just wondering, do you have any safety tips for folks who are setting up profiles on these dating apps? And especially when it comes to, let's say, a couple agrees to meet in public. What are your thoughts on that about how folks should remain safe? Well, you know, your biggest thing, and this this goes into even just so much more, and that is, Consider what information you're putting out there. I would definitely advise people, you know, avoid your phone number or your physical address or, or even for that matter where you work because unfortunately not everyone is always what they seem. And, and that advice, you know, that's the same advice honestly I do give my kids and everything else is think about what you're putting out there. You mentioned a, a very important thing and that is, especially when you're meeting someone new, you know, back in the, the olden days, it usually involves, you know, meeting somebody through friends or friends and you at least had a point of reference. But when you're meeting someone that you don't really know, you really want to look at that meeting in public kind of idea. You know, make sure it's uh, not somewhere too far away from where you can get help if you may need it. Yeah, now something I think is interesting, there's a whole show on MTV called Catfish. So basically people are using other folks' photos as their own on social media sites and basically on the show catfish they're exposing these people so how do you know whether or not someone says they are who they say they are on the internet i mean it seems kind of hard to figure out but there probably are some red flags on social media that would help you well i think there really are um one of my favorite things i I don't know about y'all but you know you probably see a lot of of requests come in for you know say friend requests and if you think about it in that same way, who do you have in common? You know, looking at if you don't have anyone in common or the people you have in common are really more of acquaintances instead of friends, I mean, it's like a lot of things. Check references. Uh, I would advise that to anyone, male or female. Check references. See who else they know. Does someone really know them? Or have they kind of worked their way into being, you know, uh, a friend of a friend of a friend, and and you really, you lose a a lot of authority with that. It's like, you know, you don't really know what's going on. So like you said, just kind of sniffing them out a little bit. Social media is really a good uh, way for you to research someone. Throw their name into Google. See what comes up. Make sure it's really them. Look for pictures. And Google searches can just bring just a, a whole bunch of information to you. 
Yes, I agree with that. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about tech and love on Everyday Tech, the show this coming Wednesday morning at 10. We'll talk about video calling. If you're in a long-distance relationship, what are some things you can do to stay connected with your tech? And we'll also talk about technology and how it interferes, possibly, with relationships. That's all coming up this Wednesday morning at 10 on Everyday Tech, the show. You can send us an email before or during the show to everydaytech at mpbonline.org. For Wilts Contreras, I'm Sherita Brent. This is Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. February is American Heart Month, and we're celebrating your heart health all month long with shows focusing on a heart-healthy lifestyle. From healthy diet to how to minimize the impact of diabetes and a plan to keep your body moving, your strong, healthy heart is our focus all month. Join me on Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit every Monday at 11 on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Heart disease is Mississippi's leading cause of death, according to the State Department of Health. But there are steps patients can take to lower their risks risks of dying from the disease. In our ongoing conversations as part of National Heart Month, Dr. Mike McMullen with the University McMullen rather with the University of Mississippi Medical Center tells MPB's Ezra Wall taking preventive steps is especially important for women. Heart disease is the number one cause of death in women, far and away the most number one cause. It's higher than all forms of cancer combined, even cancer combined with lower respiratory diseases. It's more common than both of those put together. Women, you know, we have always thought had protective effect from their estrogen, and therefore there's always been a little lower chance of people thinking about heart disease as a cause for their symptoms, particularly in younger women women often will have atypical symptoms, so they don't come in with the classic chest tightness with radiation to the arm, but they may have more shortness of breath or some nausea. Is it that women are exclusively looking for these symptoms that are unique to their gender, or or might they also experience the symptoms that men more typically experience? They can certainly have the same textbook symptoms, and that makes it a lot easier on us. So if we see a 65-year-old woman who has a history of smoking and diabetes come in with chest tightness, it's pretty easy on us. The group that we miss are the ones who come in at a younger age who do not have the classic tightness in the chest. So yes, they can certainly have them, but the reason that we really want to stress education for women as well as for physicians is we don't want to miss the ones who come in at a younger age with atypical symptoms that we might normally have not thought about heart disease in. It's really been a great program. The Go Red for Women that the American Heart Association, American College of Cardiology have put out for the last 15 to 20 years has really raised awareness of heart disease in women. And we've seen a dramatic fall in heart disease in women and men over the last decade, which has been a very nice trend to see. In the past, heart disease was almost half of the deaths that occurred in our country, and we have it down to one-third now, and most of that has been done over the last decade. So I think a lot of it is education, a lot of it is people taking their own health in their own hands, and then, of course, a lot of it is is improvement 
in our medications, in our treatments, and our technologies that we are using to treat heart disease. So I think all of these play their own role. The downside is, is over the last year, we've seen that level out. So unfortunately, we may be reaching a plateau where hopefully it won't start to go back up, but we need to continue to make strides because it still does remain the most common cause of death in men and women in the United States. What role do life factors like stress and depression and other sort of emotion-related things play, not just in women's heart health, but in general in, in a person's heart health and well-being? That is a great question and one that we are just really beginning to understand. So that's an area where we could continue to make significant improvements. The American Heart Association's campaign this year is a four-step process where they say, eat smart, you know, you want to eat non-processed foods, you want to eat fruits and veggies that are grown and uh, eat a lot of fiber. Add color, color to your diet where you're eating lots of fruits and vegetables that have a lot of color to them. Move more, so exercise. And then the fourth one is be well. And that's where they really want you to focus on stress management and treatment for depression and things that include meditation, prayer, exercise, family support, in hopes that these will all lower people's risk of having cardiac events because it has been shown to make a difference. An issue that we deal with in a lot of these health factors in Mississippi is the difference, depending on a person's racial heritage, the difference in their health outcomes. How can we apply that to heart disease and and heart health? Are there differences in heart health tendencies based on racial makeup? There certainly are, Ezra. There are major differences in heart disease based on racial makeup, ethnic makeup, even with social disparities. One of the things that we have here in Mississippi is the Jackson Heart Study, which is a multi-million dollar NIH-funded trial to look specifically at these issues. And we have found that the rates of heart disease in African-American men and women are much higher than they are in the Caucasian population. We see that they have a much higher risk of high blood pressure, a much higher risk of end-stage kidney disease with dialysis. We see that some of the Hispanic population that we have have a higher risk of metabolic syndrome and diabetes. And both of these contribute to increased incidence of heart disease in these patient populations. What causes these disparities? We don't know everything in general about these patients, so how much of it is genetic and how much of it is lifestyle. But certainly they have shown in the same manner that we can prevent heart disease by reducing our risk factors by up to 80%, we can do the same in these patient populations. So I think a lot of it is related to having the risk factors in the family, but also having the way of life, the culture. In Mississippi, we rank 52nd out of 50 states for cardiovascular disease. That is terrible. We're behind Puerto Rico and the District of Columbia. And a lot of it has to do with our poor state, the rural nature of our state, the way that we eat in our state, the highest rates of obesity in our state, the poorest control of blood pressure and diabetes, the inability to get medications for many of our patients because we have a poor patient population. And I think that each of these play a separate role in having higher rates of heart disease in these patient populations. One of the things that we're doing here at the university is really trying to incorporate telehealth, which is being able to give health care basically through the Internet as we are able to see patients at a rural location through the Internet and be able to adjust their medications check their blood pressures, look at their weights, look at their sugars, things like that where we can help take care of these patients who don't have access to health care like others. So I really think that there is a lot of good that we can do in the state of Mississippi 
because we have such problems and issues for our patients. I really think we can do some good and that there's a lot of opportunity to help these folks. We've been speaking with Dr. Mike McMullen, who's a professor of medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center and the director of the Adult Congenital Heart Disease Program there. Dr. McMullen, thank you very much for spending time with us today. Thank you, Ezra. I've really enjoyed it. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for local Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9, it's Deep South Dining. Then at 10, now you're talking. And at 11 o'clock, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. I'm Karen Brown. I hope you'll join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi edition. It's only on MPB Think Radio.